Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is an apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. To this day, I'm told I shouldn't even be wearing a tutu. I don't have the right legs, and my muscles are too big. Misty Copeland. When Misty Copeland stepped into her elementary school for the first time, She did so with a single objective, to memorize the location of every door, every hallway, and every stairwell. She wanted to be sure that by her second day, she knew precisely how many right turns to algebra, how many lockers spanned the hall between homeroom and biology, which staircase led to phys ed. Because if she didn't, the worst could happen. She'd get lost, be late for class, and after the bell rang and all the directionally inclined students were already seated, she'd have to creak open the door, slink past 30 sets of eyes, find her seat, and pray for swift evaporation. Copeland says she was born worried, and that inherent unease, coupled with crippling perfectionism, made life harder than it had to be. The youngest of four children, she says it was easy to fade into the background, where it was safe. But her mother took it upon herself to nudge her anxious daughter out of her shell. 
so she entered Copeland, along with two of her siblings, into the Thomas Jefferson Elementary School talent show. After school, the trio would congregate in the living room to choreograph a little routine, a lip-sync to please Mr. Postman, while their mom sewed their costumes at the dining room table. Then came the big day. The three little Marvelettes sashayed onto the stage and danced their hearts out to a cheering audience. For the first time, Copeland wasn't hiding in the background. She was front and center. That night, Copeland's mother told her she was a natural. She said, you belong on stage. Copeland was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but she didn't stay there very long. When she was two years old, her mother left her father. She packed up the four children and squeezed their life onto a bus headed west. As Copeland tells the story in her memoir, Life in Motion, the bus's final stop was Bellflower, California, southeast of Los Angeles, where they were greeted by a man who would become their new stepfather. But only a handful of years after that, they'd repeat the process, this time fleeing south to San Pedro. She says the pattern of scrambling, packing, and leaving would become one that defined her childhood. Squished in the bus or the car or the train, her siblings never uttering a word, not even a fight for the window seat. The stranger awaiting them in San Pedro would become their mother's fourth husband. Copeland and her siblings were the perpetual new kids. She says they became like a little nomadic tribe, fierce and hardy, adaptable, but weary. One day, Copeland was flipping through the channels when she came across a Lifetime movie. Not her typical elementary school-aged fair, but something unusual caught her attention. It was a woman doing straddle jumps and split leaps on a balance beam. Her name was Nadia Comaneci, and a decade earlier, she had become the first woman to ever score a perfect 10 on the beam at the Olympics. She was elegant, she was strong, and young Misty Copeland couldn't take her eyes off of her. She quickly hit record on the VCR, and every day that followed, she'd sit on the floor in front of the television and watch. She'd study Komanichi's movements, in particular her floor exercises. Without a balance beam or a set of parallel bars at Copeland's disposal, they were the only moves she could replicate. She started to mimic Komanichi's stretches, teaching herself how to do the splits, back walkovers, cartwheels, and handstands. And surprisingly, it all came really easily. Copeland says her body was like an elastic band. Within a single day, she could master what it would take weeks or months for others to learn. She later said in her memoir, it was as if her body knew what her brain could not yet comprehend, that rhythmic motion came as naturally to her as breathing. Copeland's perfectionism intensified with age, resulting in debilitating stress migraines. She wanted to do well in school, to please her teachers and her mother, almost as much as she wanted to please herself. She was afraid of being called on in class, purposefully making herself small and invisible. 
And when she got home, life was no less stressful. Depending on which of her stepdad's apartments the family of five, soon to be six, had squeezed into, she didn't always have a bedroom or a bed, sometimes sleeping on the floor, and dinner was not a given. In the few moments Copeland was afforded a little privacy, she would pop in her Mariah Carey CD and she'd dance. She'd lip sync, pretending she was in an MTV music video. She looked up to Mariah. Like Copeland, she was biracial, and she was just as beautiful as she was talented. Copeland says there was no crisis Mariah Carey couldn't cure. And between the back walkovers and the songbird supreme, Copeland had discovered outlets for her frustrations and a reliable escape from reality. Copeland's middle school was known for a couple things. Its impressive cafeteria murals and its dance team. Her older sister had been part of the dance team, one of its stars. And now that Copeland was finally old enough, she made her way to the open tryouts. But she wasn't just going to audition to be a member. She wanted to be captain, right out of the gate. She says it's interesting. Her fear of being looked at, being criticized, being visible, seemed to disappear when it came to performing. It didn't make any sense. But the stage, or in this case, the gym, was the only place she felt completely secure within herself. Auditioning for Captain meant she had to perform twice. The first, a generic routine every prospective member had to memorize. The second, original choreography to show the team she had vision. For the latter, she danced to a George Michael chart topper, a routine she'd perfected every day with her sister after school. She stepped in front of the three student judges, all older than she was, and just off to the side was the dance teacher. Copeland performed the assigned dance with dozens of other middle school hopefuls. Then, she says it was time for her solo. Someone hit play on the boombox, and George Michael's dance pop sound was her cue. Copeland shook her hips, spun in circles, and as the last note played, she landed effortlessly into the splits. Nadia Comaneci style. There was a silence, then one of the preteen judges simply said, Thank you. But as Copeland turned to gather her things and make way for the next prospective captain, she noticed something. The teacher was looking at her, smiling. Copeland paced around the living room that night, praying that smiles were reserved for captains. Then she got the call. Copeland, the youngest, smallest person to audition, made captain. Because, simply, she was the best dancer. Later that year, Copeland choreographed a routine for the school's Christmas concert. The dance team would perform to, of course, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. She budgeted team funds for red leotards, then hand-sewed red tutus with festive faux fur trim. She worked closely with all 30 dance team members to make sure all 60 knees were bent in the same direction and every toe was pointed. She says they looked like the Rockettes, and the audience couldn't get enough. 
After the performance, her dance teacher pulled her aside. She told her she had a thought. While watching her on stage, she realized Copeland had the ideal physique and natural abilities required of a ballet dancer. She was lean and bendy and graceful. Copeland was confused. She'd never even seen ballet before. But her coach told her that a friend of hers was teaching ballet over at the local Boys and Girls Club. Copeland should go over, observe a few classes, and, if it looked interesting, maybe she should give it a try. This was the type of task Copeland loathed. She didn't like going new places, trying new things. She didn't want the perfect girls in their perfect flyaway free buns to look at her sideways. And none of her siblings had ever danced ballet. But she says, like a good little student, she listened to her teacher. Copeland sat on the bleachers at the Boys and Girls Club, watching, only watching, as the 12 ballerinas in front of her plied in their pink tights, not a single strand of hair out of place. Until one day, the instructor finally walked over and invited Copeland to join in. She said no, thank you, she wasn't ready, she didn't even have ballet slippers. But the teacher reassured her, her gym shorts and socks would do just fine. So Copeland says she swallowed hard and willed herself onto the center of the basketball court. She stared straight ahead, avoiding eye contact with the other ballerinas, and put her left hand on the bar. For an hour, she stretched every muscle in her body, down to her pinky toe. It was exhausting. She says in her memoir, she felt like a broken marionette. And as the class wrapped up, the intrusive thoughts started flooding in. She could only imagine the feedback that would make its way back to her dance teacher, that Copeland didn't take direction well, that she was sloppy, imperfect. And by the time class was over, she decided to quit. There was too much information to learn. She was 13 years old. The average ballerina starts ballet dancing between ages 5 and 8. She would never catch up. But that's when the instructor called Copeland to the front of the class. It was an introvert's nightmare. The instructor, Cindy, proceeded to use Copeland to demonstrate poses for the rest of the class, lifting her toes up to her ears, her hands high above her head. And not only could Copeland achieve each position, she could hold them. Copeland says her body yielded to every suggestion. It was as if she'd been doing ballet her entire life, her limbs instinctively remembering what her conscious mind had somehow forgotten. Cindy told Copeland that in all her years of teaching, she'd never seen anyone that instantly gifted. She said an electrical current shot through her body. She was going to make this girl her protege. Copeland put her left hand back on the bar, and from that day on, she never missed a class. On the other side of town, Cindy ran an elite ballet studio. Copeland's family couldn't afford the classes, the uniforms, or the commutes to the ritzy neighborhood. So Cindy made them an offer. She'd give Copeland a full scholarship, including classes, black leotards, pink tights, shiny slippers, and, most days, a ride to the studio. 
Under her tutelage, she wanted to see what they could achieve together. For Copeland, going to Cindy's studio after school gave her life structure. She says in her memoir, it was a stark contrast to her home life, which was spinning out of control. Her mother had packed up the children and fled their home again, moving the family into her new boyfriend's apartment, where they all shared a single room. That is, until they were evicted. So the family was forced to move into a local motel room. She and her siblings slept on the floor and rustled through couch cushions hoping to find spare change for vending machine dinners. After school, Copeland would use the motel handrail as a makeshift bar while she waited for her ride to the studio. She couldn't wait to get out of the chaos and into her leotard at the one place she felt safe and special. She started training five days a week, learning pirouettes, jetés, arabesques. And within eight weeks, Copeland stood on point for the first time, something that takes a typical ballerina three years. At Cindy's studio, Copeland was one of only a handful of black ballerinas. But she says... Cindy made her feel as if her blackness was the most beautiful thing in the world. Cindy's approval was unconditional, and Copeland says for the first time, she began to hear the sound of her own voice. And she liked it. At age 14, Copeland starred in her first real performance, which was met with a standing ovation. That performance was written about in the local paper, and suddenly there was buzz on the L.A. dance circuit about the late-blooming black ballerina who could command a room. Her story was unusual. She wasn't born into a fancy elite ballet academy. She discovered her gift as a teen at the local Boys and Girls Club, and for the first time, she heard the word prodigy. She started entering competitions, which she won, even earning cash prizes up to $5,000, an astounding amount of money to bring home to her family at the motel. By the end of that school year, she was eligible to apply to some of the prestigious ballet company's summer programs. She auditioned for six companies, five sent back letters of acceptance along with elaborate welcome packages. Then, one very svelte envelope also arrived in the mail. It was from the New York City Ballet. It read, Thank you for your application to our Ballet Academy. Unfortunately, you have not been accepted. You lack the right feet, turnout, torso length. You have the wrong body for ballet. And at your age, you're too old to be considered. Copeland says she sat in Cindy's living room staring at the letter. Not only did the renowned New York City Ballet reject her, they tore her apart limb by limb. But there was one line that stood out to her most. You have the wrong body for ballet. It was such a sweeping statement. Cindy took Copeland's hands and reminded her of her talent. Then she gently let the teary 15-year-old in on the subtext of language like that. She said, There are very few black dancers at major ballet companies. They just don't know what to make of you. The truth was, Cindy was right. 
There had never in history been a black female principal dancer at a major international ballet company. So Copeland decided to go where she was wanted. The San Francisco Ballet offered her free tuition, room and board, and even airfare. But she never quite forgot that rejection letter from the New York City Ballet. So Cindy said, save it. One day, they'll be sorry. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There were a few things Copeland learned at the San Francisco Ballet. One, that even among career ballerinas, she was still considered advanced. But two, even though she was considered advanced, there was still a lot she had to learn. The ballerinas around her were familiar with the choreography of the ballet classics. They'd spent a decade or more on point at elite academies, building stamina and strengthening their feet. Meanwhile, Copeland hadn't heard all the great scores. Certain poses and techniques were brand new to her. And each night, she hobbled back to her dorm room, writhing in pain, before slipping her aching feet into trash can ice baths. But despite the learning curve, at the end of her six weeks in San Francisco, Copeland was selected as a top ballerina in the program. She was thrilled. Her fellow dancers, on the other hand, not so much. 
One said, loudly enough for the entire program to hear, that she didn't understand why Copeland, of all people, would be chosen. Copeland says she felt the self-doubt creep in. But on the last day, as the ballerinas took their places for the big group photo, Copeland took her place, front and center. And she smiled, bravely. The summer of Copeland's junior year, she read in Dance Magazine that major ballet companies were, once again, auditioning for their summer programs. This time, she'd go for the biggie, the most prestigious company in the country, nay, the continent, the American Ballet Theatre in New York City. The auditions were standard. You wore the right uniform, used the right hair gel, arrived at the right time, pinned a big number to your leotard, and you either wowed them or you didn't. Well, with her training from San Francisco under her belt, Copeland wowed them. And within a couple weeks, a letter arrived in the mailbox saying she had been accepted on a full scholarship to ABT's summer program. And 17-year-old Misty Copeland was off to New York City. On her first day at the program, Copeland was summoned into the head office. She was asked about her story. Growing up in the family that she did, overcoming what she had. They were fascinated, a prodigy discovered at the Boys and Girls Club. They told her not only were they impressed by her talent, but her tenacity. And right then and there, they offered her a spot in their studio company when she finished high school. One year later, she couldn't get out of her cap and gown quick enough before heading to the airport. She was back at ABT and starting her first real-life job as a dancer. The studio company at ABT was the second rung on what turned out to be a very tall ladder. Studio was like the minor leagues. It consisted of 12 dancers who became like family, performing and improving in tandem. She says she felt loved in the studio company, by the other dancers and by ABT, and she reveled in the embrace. It was her first time feeling independent, inventing herself away from the people who knew her as a child. And she says the little girl who used to tremble at the thought of handing in a book report was suddenly loud, even boisterous, completely unapologetic. And by the time she turned 19, Copeland was promoted to the corps de ballet. Corps de ballet was the next rung on the ladder, and she explains it like this. Getting promoted from studio to core is like being promoted from the minors to the second string. The main task is to learn the plays, bolster the first string, and hope one day to be plucked off the bench and onto the field. There were 50 members of the core. Above them would be the soloists. There were about a dozen of those. At the very top of the ladder, there were 20 principal dancers. And of those 80 ballerinas in total, Misty Copeland was the only black dancer. ABT was an extremely competitive atmosphere. 
all 50 of the core dancers vying for a featured part. It didn't take long for Copeland to realize the word prodigy might have applied to a number of her peers. These were the top ballerinas in the country. Suddenly, every day felt like an audition. She could feel the other dancers constantly looking her up and down, questioning her abilities, judging her appearance. The rehearsal schedule was grueling, and one day, while learning new choreography and contorting her body in ways that had never been stretched before, Copeland suddenly felt a shooting pain down her lower back. She kept dancing until she couldn't take it any longer. She went to the hospital for an MRI, and turns out she had a stress fracture in her spine. For six months, 23 hours a day, Copeland would be forced to wear a back brace. Another six months after that would be spent in rehabilitation. She would have to go a full year without ballet. What she'd soon find out was that years of strenuous activity had delayed puberty for Copeland. But now, as she took her first rest since she started dancing, she says her body started to change. once described the perfect ballet dancer to Copeland as having sloping shoulders, long legs, and a narrow ribcage. Now, Copeland says she looked nothing like that. She had breasts, hips, and thighs. It happened so quickly, she gasped when she walked past a mirror. She wasn't a little girl anymore. She had the hourglass figure of an adult woman. When she returned to ABT, the seamstress had to let out her costumes. And eventually, she was pulled aside. The company told her that they'd noticed a change and that she would need to lengthen. Lengthen, Copeland says, is ballet speak for lose weight with the added bonus of avoiding a lawsuit. As quickly as her body changed, Copeland learned to be ashamed of it showing up to rehearsal in big t-shirts instead of leotards, hiding in the corner during rehearsal, then crying alone at night in her bedroom. To cheer her up, a few of Copeland's friends decided to take her out to a club. That night, she struck up a conversation with a man. She told him she was a ballerina. And he said, there's no way. Ballerinas are supposed to be thin. Copeland had reached her lowest point. To cope with the stress, she started overeating, indulging in dozens of Krispy Kreme donuts in a single sitting, which only made her gain weight and curse her body even more. Every couple months, she'd get a stern talking to about lengthening, and soon she stopped attending rehearsal altogether. She says she never felt so alone. She was the only black female dancer in the company. There was no one around her to confide in or relate to. She was the only dancer with breasts, with quads. She always had a different skin tone than the other girls, but at least she'd shared a similar body type. She says there were many people who seemed to not want to see black bodies on stage, who thought her mere presence made ballet less authentic, less romantic her career began to slip away. 
That season, ABT was in rehearsals for its production of Swan Lake, in which Copeland was set to play a signet. The production would be filmed at the Metropolitan Opera House and broadcast on television. And one afternoon, on her lunch break, another member of the Corps approached Copeland and told her she'd overheard some staff members discussing the broadcast. Someone had said that Copeland didn't fit in with the rest of the dancers. She asked why. It couldn't be because of her technique, her work ethic, or her training. No, it was that her brown skin was ruining the aesthetic. Copeland says the filming happened, but she didn't make the final cut. Copeland started training eight hours per day, proving to herself and to ABT that her curves didn't mean she couldn't jeté across the stage and land so gently that she didn't make a single sound. The muscles in her thighs only helped her to jump higher and float through the air longer. She pushed her body into the best shape of her life. Her stamina was unmatched. But yet, she wasn't given featured roles— she suspects because they didn't associate her look with elegance. The roles she did play were in the chorus, where she was caked with white makeup to lighten her skin. She'd hear things like, we're just staying true to the original production. She says she was sinking, and she started thinking about walking away. But it was then, at the height of her frustration, Copeland remembered her mere presence at the American Ballet Theater was in itself subversive, history-making. And if she gave up on herself, she'd be giving up on any budding black ballerinas who would come after her. In a moment of clarity, her determination reignited, and with that came her confidence. Copeland stopped cursing her body and trained herself to cherish it. She says it was a representation of the culture that raised her, the culture that was counting on her, rooting for her, watching her. So she pushed forward. She says she, like every person of color, would be forced to work ten times harder than everyone else in the room. And she did. And in August of 2007, after six years in the corps de ballet, Copeland was promoted to soloist. Misty Copeland became the first black soloist at the American Ballet Theater in 20 years. She made the cover of Dance Magazine, which was a full-circle moment, given that it was the very publication where she'd spotted the open call for ABT auditions. Then, in the fall of 2011, ABT's artistic director pulled Copeland aside and told her to start rehearsing the choreography for the lead role in Firebird. Firebird is a beloved ballet about mystical creatures in an enchanted forest, one that required three main soloists to play the red-feathered Firebird. So Copeland figured she'd be understudying one of those three, an honor. She learned the part perfectly, the first to arrive in the morning and last to leave at night. If something ever happened to one of the leads, as injuries are common in ballet, she'd be there in the wings. Then, finally, the cast list was posted, 
but not on a bulletin board, on Twitter. Copeland pulled up the press release, which read, Firebird Act 2 will be performed by Misty Copeland. She couldn't speak. Her eyes filled with tears. Out of the 80 dancers in the company, they picked her. She would become the first black ballerina in history to play the Firebird at any major ballet company. Firebird would debut at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City. And when word spread that ABT had cast a black ballerina in its lead role, the venue started selling out. News outlets approached Copeland for interviews. Athletes and figures she looked up to started calling to offer their congratulations. The pressure was mounting, though Copeland says she was too busy for nerves. She was rehearsing seven hours a day, six days a week. But six months out from the Firebird debut, she noticed a stabbing pain in her left shin. She wrote it off as run-of-the-mill exertion. When you're rehearsing 42 hours a week, of course you're going to have little aches. Nothing she hadn't overcome before. Until one day, the pain became so bad, Copeland said it seized her breath. She didn't tell anyone. If she did, they'd make her get it checked. Or worse, they'd pull her from the show altogether. So she gritted her teeth and kept rehearsing. Then the big day finally arrived. Firebird's debut. Copeland took a quick break from rehearsal. She stepped outside for some fresh New York City air. When she looked up, and there she was, 24 feet tall, on point, outside the Metropolitan Opera House. Of the hundreds of times she'd walked by that opera house, until that day, she'd never seen a black woman on the facade. The Met sold out that night. The guest list was a who's who of black New York City royalty. Gail King, Star Jones, Deborah Lee, the president of BET. The makeup of the crowd looked completely different than your typical ballet audience. It was diverse, a true representation of the very city they lived in. But as Copeland slid into her unitard and her red feathered headdress was fastened with bobby pins, she was in agony. The searing pain in her left shin, the leg she spun on, was unbearable. She could barely walk, let alone dance. But she didn't tell a soul. She knew, after tonight, she wouldn't be able to dance again for a very long time. But Copeland stood up. She said, this is for the little brown girls. And she stepped on stage. For the next 90 minutes, Copeland says her heart throbbed harder than her leg, and she fluttered, soared across the stage effortlessly. The applause was so loud, sometimes she could barely hear the music. And as she took her final leap, the crowd sprung to their feet for an ovation like she'd never seen before. They were clapping, whistling, crying. Deborah Lee said Copeland's performance as Firebird gave every little girl, young and old, a set of wings. It turns out, Copeland was dancing on six stress fractures in her leg. 
three of which had nearly cracked all the way through her tibia. She needed major surgery, and she was right. She wouldn't dance again for a long time. Seven months, to be exact. But by the summer of 2014, she was back, cast as the lead in Swan Lake, the first black woman to dance the role at an international ballet company. That same year, she became a spokesperson for Under Armour. In the commercial, Copeland danced as the narrator read out the rejection letter she'd received at the start of her career. The campaign was called I Will What I Want. Then, in 2015, Copeland was invited to an ABT company-wide meeting. Company-wide meetings weren't unusual at the American Ballet Theater. They were mostly for housekeeping. All 80 members of the main company and staff were running through ABT business, talking dates, upcoming performances, discussing the logistics of the next tour. Some studio dancers were promoted to core. Some core dancers became soloists. There was celebration and applause. Then, ABT's artistic director turned to Copeland, and he simply said, Misty, take a bow. And she burst out crying. Because in that moment, the woman told she was too curvy, too old, too muscular, too short, too distracting, lacked the right feet, turnout, and torso length, told she had the wrong body for ballet, that she didn't fit the aesthetic. The black swan in a sea of white reached the top of the ladder, becoming the first black female principal dancer in American ballet theater history. There is so much you can't control on the way to your goal. You can't control what people think of you. You can't control timing. You can't control circumstances. And you can't control the naysayers. When the rejections and the doubt pile up, it's so easy to slip into fear, despair, and disappointment. But when you were at your lowest point, that's when you have to pull out your compass. You have to reconnect to your purpose, tap back into your true north, because your why will sustain you in the darkest hour. How you get there, when you get there, where you end up will all work itself out. The secret is to persist so the how, when, and where can materialize. The one thing you can control is yourself. When Misty Copeland was ready to walk away from the American Ballet Theater because she was being judged so harshly, when she was made to feel ashamed of her body, when she was told she didn't fit in with the rest of the dancers, the thing that made her stay was her compass. She remembered why she was there. She realized her mere presence at the ballet wasn't just unusual, it was important. She remembered all the little girls of color who were watching her and counting on her. That reignited her determination to block out all the criticism and stand tall 
and push through. Misty Copeland didn't look like a typical ballerina because she wasn't typical. She was exceptional. She conquered all the physical and mental obstacles because she held on tight to her compass. And by doing so, she made history. Never, ever give up. Misty Danielle Copeland, inducted into the Boys and Girls Club Hall of Fame, 2012. Cover of Time Magazine, 100 Most Influential People, 2015. Barbara Walters' 10 Most Fascinating People, 2015. Misty Copeland Mattel Barbie, released 2016. Start Unknown, Finish Unforgettable. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. The major source for this episode is Life in Motion, An Unlikely Ballerina by Misty Copeland. Other significant sources are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. We regret to inform you, we're on social. Find us at apostrophepod. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Sandra O oh from Season 2. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm being completely honest now, okay? Homelessness makes me uncomfortable. But then I think, at least it's not sleeping on the sidewalk with everything I own uncomfortable. Don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions. Go to canadacandoit.ca. Help the Canadian Alliance to end homelessness. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly, or as we like to call him, T. See you next time.